0: On today's episode, the Alex DeBrinkett rumors are expected to ramp up this week with the NHL draft being just a couple of days away. I'll go over all the latest news on the two-time 40 goal score. Then I'll get into Cameron Lund's 2022 NHL draft profile. And to wrap things up will be Blackhawks forward Reese Johnson's 2021-2022 season recap. All that and plenty more right here on Lockdown Blackhawks. Your Locked On Blackhawks, your daily podcast on the Chicago Blackhawks. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to the Locked On Blackhawks podcast, your daily podcast on the Chicago Blackhawks. Today is Tuesday, July 5th. I'm your host, Jack Bushman. You can find me out on Twitter at Jack Bushman 2 or you could also go and check out my strictly Blackhawks account at Talk and Hockey for all the latest Blackhawks news and updates. And if you're listening to the audio version of today's episode and you like what you're hearing, then please be sure to go and show some support. First, by following the podcast, which will only take a quick couple of seconds, literally just a quick click of the button will help me out tremendously. Be sure to go and leave the show five stars if you like what you're hearing today as well. And if you're tuning in through Apple Podcasts or through Spotify, then definitely be sure to go and leave me a review because I always greatly appreciate getting some feedback from my wonderful listeners out there. And best of all, it's 100% for free wherever you may be listening to your podcast, whether that be through Apple Podcasts, Odyssey, Spotify, Google Podcasts, etc. It's all 100% for free. And if you go and follow the show right now, then you'll be able to get the latest episode as soon as it comes out each day. And if you're not already watching the video version of today's episode, then be sure to go and check out Lockdown Blackhawks on YouTube because each and every episode, folks, throughout the rest of the summer into training camp later this fall is going to have a video attached to it as well. So if you haven't done so yet, please go and subscribe to Lockdown Blackhawks on YouTube. I would greatly appreciate all the support that I could get. Be sure to go and smash the like button down below as well and comment as to what grade you think Blackhawks forward Reese Johnson is deserving for his performance this season. And last, go and ring the bell. Go and turn on those push, push notifications so that way you can get notified when the episode gets uploaded to YouTube each and every day. All right. Good morning, everyone. Thank you all for joining me on another episode of Lockdown Blackhawks your one-stop shop for all things Chicago Blackhawks. And thank you all for making the show your first listen here to start off your week. I hope everyone had a great 4th of July weekend. We got some lovely weather. It was incredible outside. I hope you all spent a bunch of time with friends and family, really enjoying the weekend and uh, soaking it all in, soaking in the long weekend. Always great to have a Monday off and not be stuck at work. So, again, I hope everyone had a great 4th of July but back to business this week, and it is going to be the start of a chaotic next couple of weeks here for the Chicago Blackhawks. We got the NHL draft starting later this week. Uh, there's free agency coming up. The Blackhawks <clears throat> are uh, holding their prospect development camp at Fifth Third Arena next week as well. Things are, This is going to be the busiest next couple of weeks of the entire offseason, so be sure to buckle up because things are certainly about to get spicy here. Uh, And with the NHL draft coming up in just a couple of days, starts on Thursday. That's when the first round will be taking place, of course. At the moment, the Chicago Blackhawks do not have a first-round pick in the 2022 NHL draft, and it seems like the only way that they're going to get one would be by trading superstar forward Alex DeBrinket, and that's been the talk of the Blackhawks for the last couple of weeks. DeBrinket, supposedly available on the market, but the Blackhawks, they're going to be wanting a, a pretty high offer, it seems, for the two-time 40 goal score, which, hey, that's exactly how it should. Be. And there was actually a report that came out from over the weekend from Elliot Friedman uh, saying that he believes at least one team, which went unnamed, had made a very serious offer to the Blackhawks for DeBrinkett. That return involving two first-round picks, one of those looking or uh, appearing to be a, a top pick probably somewhere in the top five along with um, a mid-level prospect but the Blackhawks shut that deal down they did not say yes to two first round picks and a prospect with Alex to, for Alex to bring it and that made me very happy to hear honestly as, as a Blackhawks fan I don't want the Blackhawks to trade to bring it. I've been on that train ever since this news has started uh, I, I think they'd be better off rebuilding around him and listen I get I get the side of why they'd want to trade him. Uh, his timeline for his career doesn't exactly match what the Blackhawks have planned for the next few years ahead. DeBrinca will probably be pushing 30, if not past that, when the Blackhawks are hoping to open up that competitive window once again. I, I get that side of things. I get where Kyle Davidson's coming from when he says he's going to be accepting calls on Alex DeBrinkett. I get that. But, if they're going to go that route, then they need to get an absolute haul for him. They need to get an ideal return. For whatever the front office wants, whatever is written up on their chalkboard as to what type of return they need in order to move Alex to Brinkett. Don't don't budget on that. Don't waver on that whatsoever. If I'm Kyle Davidson, I'm holding true to my offer and I'm not, I'm not gonna budge. I'm not gonna move from my stance on what exactly I need in order to move this guy, because let's not forget the Blackhawks do not have to trade Alex to here. Listen, I just admitted, I understand why Davidson is having these thoughts and why it could happen. The Blackhawks would have to give him $9 million. It's a lot of money tied up to he and Seth Jones for a team that's really trying to rebuild. Um, I get that. But with that being said, don't sell him if it's not ideal. It just doesn't make sense. You don't have to do it. Your back isn't completely up against the wall, Kyle, and you don't have to do it if you're not in love with the package from another team. So to hear the Blackhawks turn down two first-round picks and a mid-level prospect for it, that made me really happy to hear because, hey, first off, it's going to take, we know it's going to take an absolute haul officially in order to nab it away from the Blackhawks. And second, it, it sounds like, Blackhawks are, are really set on what they need in order to make a deal happen. And it's sounding like it's going to be more than just two first round picks and a medium level prospect. And that makes me very happy to hear. If you're trading to Brinkett, you better get an absolute haul for this guy. So I just thought it was really interesting to hear and good to hear that Kyle Davidson and the Blackhawks appear to not have moved, uh, not have budged at all on what type of deal it would take in order to take to brink it away from Chicago. Uh, And also with the DeBrinkit rumors, there's been a lot going on in the past couple of days. The Philadelphia Flyers have emerged as a front runner for the DeBrinkit sweepstakes. Um, We saw reports from a couple of days ago saying that the Flyers, you know, they have the right type of assets that could intrigue the Blackhawks. They do have the fifth overall selection in the 2022 NHL draft on Thursday. They also have two first-round picks in 2024. Uh, one of those coming from the Florida Panthers as part of the Claude Giroux deal. They do have some young pieces. Bobby Brink is one that's been on a lot of Blackhawks fans' minds since the Flyers became kind of uh, front runners, if you will, uh, to be in on the Alex Dabrinkit sweepstakes. But just as of a few minutes ago, interestingly enough, Elliot Friedman reported that the Flyers' fifth overall pick is not currently on the table for Alex Dabrinkit any longer. And if the Flyers aren't going to be giving the Blackhawks the fifth overall selection. To me, personally, it's hard to see Kyle Davidson making a deal with them because, sure, you could give them two first-round picks, but none of that is guaranteed. The thing that makes New Jersey so enticing is we know they have the second overall pick. Another thing that makes Seattle so enticing is we know what pick they have, right? you take first-round picks in the future, which, sure, the Blackhawks are probably going to have to take one of those regardless if they move to Brinkett, I think they'd rather have one draft pick locked in knowing exactly where they're picking rather than taking two gambles on probably unprotected picks past a certain range. You know what I mean? Um, It's just tough for them to take that type of gamble. Hey, we trade to bring it to Philadelphia. They have a breakout season. The Blackhawks get the 18th, 19th, 20th overall pick for him. That's, you know, sure they might get two of those, but at the end of the day, you want that high pick. That's what the Blackhawks need. They need franchise-altering players. Even Kyle Davidson has said so himself recently. Where do you get those players? You get them early on in the NHL draft. So to me, the Flyers' fifth overall pick isn't on the table. I don't see Philadelphia being a likely landing spot for Alex it at this point. And to me, that leaves really Seattle and New Jersey because the Los Angeles Kings a team rumored to be interested. Uh, they just made a big deal to land Kevin Fiala. And you gotta think that probably takes them out of the Alex to Brink at sweepstakes, if I had to guess. Maybe, you know, they, they still are um a little bit of uh, an underdog and are going under the radar a little bit and nobody talks about them. They sure have the assets uh in prospect pool in order to make a deal work, but I do wonder how it's going to fit uh cap wise knowing that DeBrink is going to need at least 9 million dollars on his qualifying offer next season. Uh so for those reasons it sounds like if DeBrink is going to be moved it's seeming that Seattle and New Jersey are probably the two most likely destinations for him. But again, don't forget the Blackhawks Kyle Davidson. You do not have to trade Alex DeBrink. And I think he knows this. He's Kyle's been very intelligent and has handled things very well, I've thought, so far in his time as GM. He recognizes where the Blackhawks are at, what they need to do in order to get better. Hey, he recognizes that he might have to make some moves that he doesn't want to, but at the end of the day, he has to think about the greater good of the team long-term, and I get where he's coming from when he's uh, thinking about moving on from Alex to Brinkett, but if they are going to do so, it better be for an absolute haul, and kind of interesting to hear Scott Powers of The Athletic write up an article recently saying that if the Blackhawks do trade to Brinkett, it might be for a lower tier offer than they'd like. And at that point, i just say no. If you're not getting a haul for to just say no. That's the way I look at it because, listen, he is an incredibly special player for his age, already proven that he's one of the elite snipers in the game. We don't have to move on from him only if the trade package is ideal or better. And to hear the Blackhawks turn down a a pretty significant offer in the past few days, um, that tells me and gives me confidence that Kyle Davidson has the right mindset on how to handle his young superstar right now. All right, that takes care of all the latest news on Blackhawks forward Alex DeBrinkett. That's only going to ramp up, I'm sure, in the next couple of days with the NHL draft coming up. And speaking of the NHL draft... Coming up in just a moment, I'm going to get into forward Cameron Lund's 2022 NHL draft profile. But first, I need to talk to you all about Bet Online. That time of the year, again, folks, as baseball season has officially taken over for the summer, and Bet Online has way more odds and info from game scores, totals, player performance props, to who the next fired manager is going to be, regardless of what you want to bet on. BetOnline remains the number one spot for all sports betting here in 2022. It's not just baseball. From golf, esports, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, do not wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2022 season. BetOnline is both the fastest and the easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports and Vegas casino games. BetOnline, where the game begins. All right, we're back here on the Lockdown Blackhawks podcast. Before I get into segment two, I need to talk to you all real quick about what's coming up on the Lockdown Podcast Network with the NHL Draft just a couple days away. The NHL Draft is right around the corner, folks, and our team of local hosts and draft experts are breaking it down with insights and analysis for every first-round pick. Plus, join me for 15 minutes on Friday night after the Blackhawks pick for the first time with the 38th overall selection in the second round. And be sure to go and subscribe to Lockdown Blackhawks on YouTube for all the latest breakdowns and live reactions to the NHL draft and more. All right, moving on into segment two this morning, folks. It's time to take a deeper look at 2022 NHL draft prospect Cameron Lund, who's an 18 year old forward from the Green Bay Gamblers of the USHL and is largely expected to be a second round pick later on this week and could be available when the Blackhawks are on the clock with the 38th overall selection. Uh, Before Cameron Lund, he's a big kid for being 18, six foot two, 192 pounds, just played his first season in the USHL with, as I said, the Green Bay gamblers. And he put together a pretty spectacular first season up in Wisconsin Uh, in total Lund, Played in 62 USHL games this year. Again, it was his first with Green Bay in the USHL. And in total, he tallied 50 points, 25 goals, and 25 assists. So all in all, a pretty good offensive rookie season in the USHL for Cam Lund. And that offensive game is really uh, the top part of his game when you break everything down. When you go and read scouting reports and watch the tape on Cameron Lund, the thing that's going to jump out about you is his offensive IQ and his abilities in the offensive zone and also in transition. Whenever the puck is on his stick, that's when Cam Lund is at his best. He's a weapon in the offensive zone. He's got good speed, not great speed or incredible acceleration, but he knows how to play in those high traffic areas and how to kind of knife his way through defenders, enter the offensive zone, and make something happen for his team. It kind of reminds me a little bit of an Owen Beck situation. Owen Beck, who I just broke down a few days ago. Honestly, he's probably been my top prospect for the Blackhawks at number 38 so far. If you want to go and check out that breakdown of Owen Beck, just go and check out the channel episode from a couple of days ago. And while you're there, make sure to hit the subscribe button. I would greatly appreciate it. Uh, but kind of similar to Owen Beck, Cam Lund just has that good speed and offensive game that is the, is the top part of his skill set in my mind. Um, the pace is is there, and there's not really a worry about whether or not he's going to be able to keep up at the NHL level. And also, he already knows how to use this, uh, his size to his an advantage for being so young. He's not absolutely massive or anything, but six two, already 192 pounds at just 18 years old. Um, undoubtedly, he, he's only going to get stronger and stronger, and probably break that 200 pound threshold. And when he does, he's got the full frame to be. A weapon in the offensive zone. Hockey IQ is good. He knows how to lower his shoulder on a defender and use his size along the boards in order to move the puck around and create offensively. Uh, His offensive game is really incredible. And that's why I think the ceiling for Cam Lund can be so high. And I've talked about this already a couple of times in the second round. It depends on how you want to look at things, but I personally do like those higher ceilings. I know that also comes with a little bit of risk, and I would understand why Kyle Davidson would shy away from it because if Cam Lund doesn't necessarily hit his offensive ceiling, there is some concern about the rest of his game, which I'm going to get into in just a moment. But at the same time, if you can find a player who you believe in in the second round, you believe has a good skill set and believe can turn into something special when everything comes together through more and more experience and age and all that good jazz, That's kind of where I personally like to lean. I think Cam Lund has that offensive ceiling, especially given where the Blackhawks are at in terms of their prospect pool up front. Aside from Lucas Reichel and Colton Dock, it's not really all that deep. Landon Slagert, Jalen Leip and Antti Sorella. I mean, it is not a deep forward group in the prospect pool for the Chicago Blackhawks. And I think it's really key that, with the 38th overall selection, personally, to me, I think they got to take the best forward available. I think that's absolutely what they have to do at number 38. When it comes to their, second, their second, second round pick, sure, go and take the top player that's available on the board. If that happens to be a defenseman, so be it. But I think absolutely the Blackhawks have to take a forward at number 38, given how thin the prospect pool is up front. And Cam Lund is one of those guys, if he hits, He has the ability to completely, not completely change the outlook of the Blackhawks forward group, but be a huge help somewhere in the middle six and maybe even uh, in the top six, top line if we're lucky. Uh, But all in all, for Cam Lund, as I mentioned, the offensive game is the bread and butter that's the best part of his game. Uh, I said he knows how to use the size to his advantage. He's got good pace, knows how to skate the puck in transition, out of the D zone, into the offensive zone. Just a solid overall offensive game that he's got, and he's likely going to be more of a playmaker than a pure goal scorer at the NHL level. If you go and look at his numbers throughout the past couple of years when uh, he played for the Junior Bruins in Boston, uh, his numbers have been fairly even in terms of goals and assists. I mean, he is a very well-rounded offensive player probably going to be a playmaker at the NHL level more so than a goal scorer, but don't get it twisted. He, he can score goals. He potted 25 goals in 62 games this season, not a deadly shot or anything, not a, you know, a one-timer guru over at the left dot on the man advantage, but he is certainly capable of scoring goals and uh, maybe not a 30, 40 goal score at the NHL level, but it does seem like he'd have the ability to be in the twenties and not be too concerned about that side of his game either. Uh, He can also play both center and the wing. Uh, He's mostly played center so far throughout his young career, but this is something I mentioned earlier. There are some concerns about his ability away from the puck. It's just kind of a case of where Cam Lund doesn't have the same intensity or the same success when the puck isn't on his stick. When the puck's on his stick, when he's moving in the offensive zone, making things happen at a good pace, using his playmaking skills, his size to his advantage, that's when he's at his best. But in terms of a 200-foot game or whether or not he'd be able to play on the penalty kill, there is a little bit of concern there. Uh, And that's kind of what I feel like has some teams believing he's going to be a wing down the road and probably not a center because he's not the sharp 200-foot back checker who's, you know, locking things down the middle. And not to say that Cam Lund can't turn into that player one day down the road. We don't know. It just doesn't, that doesn't seem like it's a strength of his game at this point. And that's why some teams here in the second round, they'd like to go with a safer bet. They'd like to go with a player they know can be good in terms of the defensive side of things. Because if the offensive potential doesn't work out, hey, they can at least provide you with some service down the road. Maybe they're not the offensive weapon that you wanted them to be, but they have that good all-around game. You could still salvage them as a third or fourth liner one day. I mean, that happens in the NHL. Sometimes there are guys who go in the first round that wind up being valuable third or fourth liners. Sure, it's not how they envisioned helping a team one day down the road, but they're still a help nonetheless. And with Cam Lund, if the offense doesn't work out, there is some concern about whether or not you'll be able to salvage him in an NHL lineup, because the 200-foot game isn't that well-rounded. So all in all, it kind of sounds like Cam Lund, like I mentioned before, is a high-risk, high-reward type of player. I like what I see from the offensive side of things, but at the same time, you have to acknowledge there is a risk here, because he hasn't been a penalty killer throughout his career. The defensive side of his game isn't the strength. There are some worries that the offense doesn't take off, and if it doesn't, you know, pan out well in the future, we don't know if he's going to have the game to mesh in other places. And that's a big thing in the NHL too, you know, knowing your role, not everyone is capable of serving a lesser role. And everyone, you know, in the NHL has mostly been the guy for their junior teams or college teams or whatever it has been throughout their careers coming up. And it's hard for some guys to take on lesser roles. I don't know if Cam Lund, is willing to do that, not willing to do that. I don't know much of his personality. I'm just seeing, you know, telling it as it is on the scouting reports and in terms of the video. There is a risk there. That's something you have to acknowledge if you want to take Cam London. Even because of that risk, there are some mock drafts and such that have him going in the third round, and even some that have him going in the fourth. So it's going to be interesting to see how the Blackhawks kind of feel about Cam Lund's game, because it does sound like he's going to be available when they're on the clock at number 38. He's really got a good offensive skill set, good pace, good size, good playmaking ability. He can shoot the puck well. He's got good IQ. He knows how to create. He can skate the puck through the neutral zone, carry it into the offensive zone, dodge defenders. He's got a very well-rounded offensive skill set, but the rest of his game, there is a little bit of a worry. So uh, I'm not really sure what to kind of make of Cam Lund here. I don't love him as much as I love Owen Beck, which I already stated. But I do think, you know, the Blackhawks believe in his offensive skill set. I-, I could see Cam Lund going at number 38 here with the Blackhawks first selection in the second round. I believe he is going to be available. I don't think he's one of those guys that's going to be pushing the 30s or anything. Um, So we'll see, but Cam Lund is certainly an intriguing prospect because he's got the size, he's got the speed, he's got the offensive game. If the Blackhawks believe that one day down the road, he could put it all together defensively and be a little bit more well-rounded, then they may just make him their pick, their first pick in the 2022 NHL draft at number 38 early on in the second round on Friday afternoon. All right, that takes care of Cam Lund's 2022 NHL draft profile. Coming up in just a minute, I still got to get into Blackhawks forward Reese Johnson's 2021-2022 season recap segment. Welcome back to the Lockdown Blackhawks podcast. I'm your host, Jack Bushman. Getting into segment three now today before I wrap things up and let you all go go and enjoy the rest of your Tuesdays. I still have to get into Blackhawks forward Reese Johnson's 2021-2022 season recap segment. So for Johnson, he got a couple of games in the NHL during the shortened COVID 2021 season with the Blackhawks. I believe it was five games all in all. Uh kind of a similar story to like a Mackenzie Entwistle and um a Mike Hardman a little bit, although he, Hardman was Stuck in Rockford for the majority of the second half, but a little bit of action towards the end of 2021. And then this past season really uh, was the first time for Reese that he was uh, for the most part a full-time NHLer. when he was healthy. Of course, he broke his clavicle in uh, Toronto. I believe that was in December and that forced him to miss a significant amount of the winter. All in all, he only ended up playing in 37 of the 82 games for the Blackhawks this season. And it was um. I don't want to say it was a, a tale of two halves for Reese Johnson, uh, but the second half, when he came back from that broken clavicle, I thought he made a much grander impact than he did earlier on in the season. I mean, first two months, I, I was even someone who was on Reese Johnson's case night in and night out. I was like, Jeremy Cowlton, why are we playing him? Especially when you see, you know, a Dylan Strom early on in the season, regularly not in the lineup, or even when he was playing, a third or fourth line role. Same with Adam Gaudet, who was a Blackhawk at that time, which I'm sure some people forget about already. Um, and for Reese to be in the lineup constantly early on in the season, particularly when things weren't going good for the Blackhawks, they weren't getting anything, any bounces going their way. The offense was putrid. They were losing every game. It was like, man, we need something else besides a Reese Johnson in our lineup because he really wasn't providing a whole lot of anything earlier on in the season. But once he came back from that broken clavicle, I thought he and the fourth line, uh, the last month or so, I thought they were really solid together for the most part And the Kyle Davidson thought the same thing because he gave all of them contract extensions and they're all going to be tied up for at least the next two seasons unless a trade is going to happen, of course. Uh, But that fourth line of Entwistle, Johnson, and Kachuk, I really liked what I saw from those three towards the end of the season. They had some good chemistry. I also thought they were spending a lot of time in the offensive zone together, maybe not uh, getting the finished product in terms of the puck in the back of the net, but at least they were, you know, making life a little bit easier for the other forward lines, giving them some rest on the bench. Uh, spending some time in the offensive zone, also making things a little bit easier for their goaltender as well. I really liked what I saw out of that trio uh, down in in the final stretch of the season. Uh, And, and Reese in particular, I thought made made an impact and made his presence felt a majority of those nights, maybe not with the offense, which I don't think is ever going to be the best part of his game or anything, but in terms of physicality and, Energy and also being good at the dot, helping out on the penalty kill. I know the Blackhawks PK wasn't good as a whole this season, but Reese Johnson, I think, is one of those guys who is kind of just starting to get his feet wet there. And if things go well, hopefully go better than they have the past couple of years under new coach Luke Richardson, who knows a thing or two about defense. Uh, I feel like Reese Johnson is one of those guys who could become a staple of the penalty kill moving forward. Maybe. Like a Marcus Kruger, if you will, one day for the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, But all in all, looking into the numbers for Reese Johnson this season, I already mentioned he played in 37 of the 82 games. Total, he only tallied six points, one goal, and five assists. But uh, I don't really think anyone expected too different out of Reese. It probably would have been nice to have him chip in a little bit more at the beginning of the season, as I said, when the Blackhawks offense was really struggling as a whole. Uh, But I also, at the same time, can't really dog Reese for this, because I didn't expect him to have, you know, 15 points or something in his 37 games play. That's just not uh, going to be a factor, a primary factor of his throughout his career, more than likely. Uh, Only 16 penalty minutes for Reese in his 37 games, eight minor penalties, which I think is important, you know, as a primary penalty killer, it's going to be big for him to stay out of the penalty box and uh, to be helping his team at the dot and all that stuff. It's really key for those fourth line centers to not be the ones taking penalties because they're the ones out on the ice who need to bail you out of those situations. So being in the penalty box isn't going to do any favors uh, to the Blackhawks PK for Reese Johnson. In terms of shooting percentage, 4.2% out of Reese this year. One goal in his 37 games. Would be nice, like I said, to have him chip in a little bit more. You know, Reese, just give me six, seven goals a year. Playing 80 games, score six or seven goals. I'll be a happy camper. Just boost that number up a little bit. Reese only shot 4.2% in his 37 games this year, only 24 shots on goal though. So um, again, not going to be his bread and butter or anything, but it would be nice to have those fourth liners, maybe creating a little bit more chances on net in the future and kind of uh, hope that the finished product follows along suit with that. Terms of time on ice Reese Johnson, averaged 10 minutes and 38 seconds per night probably right on par with what I'd imagine 10, 11 minutes. Maybe it goes up a little bit more as his PK responsibilities become larger. And maybe that trio of he could shoot uh Kachuk and Entwistle have success. And Luke Richardson feels comfortable giving them a couple more minutes a night or something, but for being a fourth liner, which Reese Johnson is going to be for this team, uh, 10, 11, 12 minutes. That's probably what you can expect in terms of, uh, the ballpark number of where his time on ice is going to be the most impressive thing. The two most impressive things for me about Reese Johnson this year, though, were in terms of his face-off percentage and in terms of his physicality for the faceoffs, Johnson won 50.5% of his draws this year, which being a rookie in the NHL, I mean, that's pretty significant stuff being over the 50% mark. I mean, we've obviously seen the struggles out of Kirby doc in that area throughout his career so far. Dylan Strom was not a particularly good faceoff man until this year. So to see Johnson already uh, capable of winning draws at the NHL level at such a young age, it really does give me high hopes that he's going to be able to build on that and only get better and better, which will help out the Blackhawks' fourth line and penalty kill as a result. So very good stuff from Reese at the dot this year. And also in terms of hits, again, only 37 games played from Reese Johnson this year, and he had 141 hits nearly five hits a game out of this guy. He knows his role. He knows he needs to be an energizer bunny out there. And uh, he's not out there for a long time, but he's out there for a good time. He's only going to be playing 10 to 11 minutes a night, but he's going to make every second count. And I loved that about Reese right back from a broken clavicle. And he was throwing his weight around night in and night out. The Blackhawks are going to need that more and more from their bottom six. They need to get more rugged and tougher to play against. So Brees Johnson is one of those guys who is capable of doing that, and I'm excited to hopefully only see those hit numbers go up uh, if he's able to play a a full campaign with the Blackhawks this season. In terms of analytics, uh, it is always a little bit hard to judge fourth liners, particularly on bad teams. Johnson's Corsi percentage was 35%, so, yeah, a lot of time in the defensive zone for the most part. Um, I did think that fourth line w- was better at getting out of there as the season progressed. And as he, Kachuk, and Entwistle got more comfortable with each other and were able to establish some chemistry, I thought it got better as the year went on. Um, but the coursey percentage doesn't really indicate that, which is uh, a little bit tough for the fourth line. But again, those are the kind of numbers you expect out of uh, a fourth line on a really bad hockey team. They're probably going to be pinned in their own zone and playing defense. More often than not. So I, I wasn't shocked one bit to see Johnson's Corsi percentage uh, be pretty low, especially when he was only on the ice for six goals, four in 37 games at five on five this season. I mean, ouch. I know the fourth line isn't known for their offense, but Reese Johnson was only on the ice for six goals, four in 37 games, one in every six games. I mean, Not a whole lot of output when Reese Johnson was on the ice, not a whole lot of output offensively for the Blackhawks, but on the flip side, he was only on the ice for 21 goals against at five on five in those 37 games. So the fourth line was doing a a pretty good job at, at shutting the opponent down and uh, Reese wasn't out there for too many goals against. So while he wasn't putting the puck in the back of the net, he was also uh, doing a pretty good job at keeping the puck out of the back of his net. So That's, you know, at the end of the day, what the fourth line is expected to do. You'd like to see Reese be out there for a little bit better output, but um, at least in terms of the defense, he wasn't a liability. And and that's the most important thing at the end of the day. And hopefully those lopsided numbers will kind of figure themselves out in the next couple of years. So all in all, taking everything into consideration, I'm not going to spend too much time on Reese Johnson. Uh, taking everything into consideration, I thought you know it was a really tough start to his rookie year. Did not provide a whole lot early on in the season. But once he returned from that broken clavicle, I liked what I saw from him. I respected his ability to throw his body on the line, whether it was block shots or being physical each and every game. I really respected that about Reese. And I also thought he did a phenomenal job at the face-off dot down on the fourth line and on the penalty kill as well. And I'm really excited to see him grow in those two areas in particular. So all in all, personally, I am going to give Blackhawks forward Reese Johnson a flat C for his performance. Actually, I'm going to give him a little bit more. I'm going to give Reese Johnson a C plus. I was in between a C and a C plus, but at the end of the day, the things that he needed to do well, defense, faceoffs, and hits, Those were the three best parts of a season, in my opinion. Sure, you would like to see the offense come together a little bit more than it has so far, um, but more so the defense. He's proven to be sturdy there so far in his young career. I'd like to see him grow a little bit more and get a bit more comfortable in that job, Um, but I was... Impressed with Reese Johnson in the second half of the season. Again, it was a really tough start. And I'll admit, I was one of those people who was dogging him and dogging Jeremy Colleton for having him in the lineup. Uh, But he proved his worth later on in the season. And hopefully, he'll be able to keep that up uh, as he gains a little bit more experience at the NHL level under his belt. So, again, for his performance this season, I am going to give Blackhawks forward, Reese Johnson, a C. And please, if you feel differently, you feel differently about Reese Johnson's season, go and let me know in the comment section down below. I always want to know whether we're on the same page, and I always like having debates with people. So please, if you feel differently about Reese Johnson's campaign, go and let me know down in the comment section. But I believe that Reese was worthy of a C-plus for his performance for the Chicago Blackhawks this year. All right, I think that is going to wrap up Tuesday, July fifth episode of Lockdown Blackhawks. Thank you all again for tuning into the show and be sure to go and follow Lockdown Blackhawks right now wherever you get your podcasts and go and subscribe to Lockdown Blackhawks on YouTube and you'll be able to get the latest episode as soon as it comes out each day. And after the show, be sure to go and check out the Lockdown NHL podcast for all the latest news, info, and updates ahead of this week's NHL draft. It's free and available on all platforms so be sure to go and check out Lockdown NHL right now, wherever you get your podcasts. Once again, thank you for tuning into today's episode. I'm your host, Jack Bushman. You can find me out on Twitter at JackBushman2, or you could also go and check out my Strictly Blackhawks account at Talkin Hockey for all the latest Blackhawks news and updates. And for any questions at all regarding anything related to the show, feel free to email Lockdown Blackhawks at gmail.com. You can also hit me up on any one of my Twitter accounts, or you could call 708 653 0572 to leave a voicemail. So until tomorrow's episode, thanks again for listening to the Lockdown Blackhawks podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day.